Welcome to Oncology Data Advisor, a digital resource for the multidisciplinary cancer team. Today, I am joined by Ms. Beth Sandy, a nurse practitioner at the Abramson Cancer Center at the University of Pennsylvania. Recently, she recorded an educational activity with us regarding updated strategies in treating non-small cell lung cancer. She's here to update us on changes, resources, and new strategies since recording and why it is vital for the healthcare team to participate in these educational activities. Thank you for joining us again, Ms. Sandy. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself and talk a bit about your research and what you do? Yep, thanks. Uh, my name is Beth Sandy. I am a nurse practitioner in thoracic oncology at the Abramson Cancer Center at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Um, I've been a thoracic oncology nurse practitioner for 20 years. Um, and so I speak a lot about lung cancer. I have a lot of editorial duties um, and chairing of conferences, um, mostly related to lung cancer. So thank you for having me back. Awesome. Great to have you again. So first question I have for you is, since recording the activity, has there been any updates in supportive care strategies for NSCLC or results from clinical trials you would like to highlight? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in our program, we went through everything that was approved for non-small cell lung cancer um, as far as immunotherapy approaches. The one major thing that was approved since um, our program is the Poseidon data. So this is really a new um, frontline regimen for patients with either adenocarcinoma or squamous non-small cell lung cancer. Um, and this is really a unique regimen because it's four drugs. So here you have um, a platinum-based doublet, which is the back cornerstone of everything that we do. Um, but then adding both um, dervalumab and tremolimumab. So these are two different checkpoint inhibitors. So it's a four-drug regimen. Tremolimumab is a new agent, new to the market. Um, I think it initially got approved in one of the GI indications, but then just right after that in lung cancer. Um, it is an anti-CTLA-4. Um, and in this regimen, you get four cycles of all four drugs. Um, with the fifth cycle, they actually drop the tremolimumab and do only dervalumab. And then with the sixth cycle, you get both the tremolimumab and dervalumab again. And then you only go on to receive dervalumab in the maintenance setting. So it's a fixed dosing of only five actual cycles of tremi. Um, the dosing is a 75 milligram flat rate. Um, and I think, you know, what a lot of us think about in thoracic oncology is that, okay, here's yet another regimen of chemotherapy with immunotherapy. Where do we, where does this fit in? Um, here's what I would say about it. Um, it is the only regimen where you can get four cycles of platinum-based chemotherapy plus dual checkpoint inhibitor. So if you're looking, you know, for a really aggressive approach, um, especially in certain populations where maybe they've just progressed on a single agent immunotherapy and you wanna try a dual approach, something like that might be appropriate. The other area they have data in, which is very interesting um, that we don't see in the other trials with immunotherapy um, is data in our patients with KRAS and STK11 mutations. So, you know, KRAS is one of the most common things and they, they um, parsed out their KRAS population, not just the G12C, but all KRAS. Um, and, you know, that they typically have a little bit of a poorer prognosis on average. Um, and what they found was that with the Poseidon regimen, they had a 25 month overall survival versus 10 months with chemotherapy alone. Um, so 25 month overall survival is actually pretty good. 
um, in that population of KRAS mutated patients where they tend to do poorer. So I would point that out. The SJK11, again, is a poor prognostic um, biomarker that we know about. And so um, that population had a 15-month overall survival as opposed to 10 months on chemotherapy. Um, maybe it was even less. It might have been like nine months on chemo. But either way, they tend to do poor. So they did actually better than all comers in that regimen. So it seems like maybe these poor prognostic biomarkers perhaps you need a stronger immunotherapy approach. So I think, you know, that remains to be seen, but this is the one new big regimen that was approved since we did our programs. I think it, you know, deserves some discussion, um, though I don't necessarily think this is something everyone should automatically get just because it's four drugs. Um, I still think the other regimens that we're uh, used to using, especially just the three drug regimens with one immune checkpoint inhibitor, I think are still very reasonable, probably... Um, less risk for toxicity and financially more costs available and have um, just as good of data in the all comers, but possibly in these niche areas, um, this may be an area to consider using the Poseidon regimen. Awesome. Yeah, this is brilliant information. I really appreciate it. And um, kind of going into all this information, why do you, why would you think it's important for clinicians to understand these results and um, stay updated on these new treatments for NSCLC? Well, yeah, because there's data coming out like wildfire, especially when it comes to immunotherapy. Um, you know, we're going to talk a minute here about future um, uh, immune checkpoint approaches, um, none of which have been approved yet. So these that I just talked about are the old ones. It's still PDL one and anti-CTLA-4, but I think it's important to kind of know now, looking at some of these trials where they're able to look at different biomarkers and how those populations may fare better with one or two dual checkpoint inhibitor therapies as opposed to only one, this becomes more important. So now in a patient like this, like maybe where there's STK11 or a KRAS, you know, G13D or G12D, one that's not targetable, you might still say, oh, but this might actually make sense because I know that there's data there that they did better with this one regimen. So I think it's making us look at biomarker reports more closely, even when there's not something necessarily actionable. Right. And going back to what you said, um, what we would be mentioning on, are there any current clinical trials or studies you're keeping an eye on or even participating in that you would like to mention? Yeah. So let's talk about future of um, lung cancer, which no surprise is mostly immunotherapy. Um, you know, I, you know, also before I get to that, I mean, target therapies, yes, we now have uh, pretty much nine unique targets that we have targetable therapies for. And even within those, like EGFR, there's the EGFR common mutations, and then there's the uncommon mutations and the exon 20 insertions, which all have different approvals. So even within some of our known mutations, we have you know, heterogeneous mutations that we may treat differently. So very exciting. I think in the targeted realm, we will still find more targets that we can then develop drugs to treat. So that is definitely something in the future. But I think truly where we're going to find the biggest leaps and bounds of differences will be in immunotherapy approaches. Um, so I'm going to talk about five different ones. Um, you know, uh, we did cover this in our program with TIGIT. So um, TIGIT is a immune checkpoint that interacts with uh, CD155. 
um, on antigen presenting cells, and it down regulates T cell and NK1 um, or NK uh, killer cells. So the idea here being that, um, again, it's tamp when this is present in tumors, it's tamping down the immune system. The immune system can't kill the cancer. There are 15 plus different molecules in development here. I mean, there is a lot. So this is an exciting field. Um, a lot of people are looking at this target. Now, I think, you know, really, I don't know that there's going to be as much single agent data here in this, but it's all about combinations. And that's what you'll hear me talk about with the other ones. It's all about combinations, putting different checkpoints together. So I think TIGIT is an exciting checkpoint. I think it's going to need to be combined with probably another immune checkpoint, plus or minus maybe chemotherapy. We will see. Um, but this is something that's pretty far in development now. Um, I think the name of the trial was Cityscape. We did cover it in our program. Um, there's been some updates to it. It looks very promising um, in combination with pdl one checkpoint inhibitors. Um, so if you didn't see it, check it out um, in our program and there's updates to come. The second one I'll talk about is LAG3. So LAG3 is another immune checkpoint um, that there are several drugs that have been developed. Interestingly, um, some of them are monoclonal antibodies. There's actually another one too that's not a monoclonal antibody that kind of has a different delivery system, um, I think more based at the antigen presenting cell as opposed to on the cell surface. Um, again, another one that we're doing clinical trials with, um, that we have done clinical trials with at Penn, we are looking to combine this checkpoint with another checkpoint inhibitor to get the responses. But this is something that's also um, fairly far in development. Um, Another one that I would talk about um, is GITR or GITR, we call it sometimes. Um, so this is glutocorticoid-induced tumor necrosis factor receptor-related proteins. A lot of words there. Um, this is mostly preclinical. Um, so a lot of these drugs are not yet in clinical trials. Maybe, maybe some are starting. But this is another one, again, this is looking at just a very different way of targeting the immune system and the tumor cells. So something just to, in your mind. And then the fourth one I'll talk about um, is CAR-T. So not a new concept. CAR-T is approved now in um, several different, you know, lymphomas, multiple myeloma. Um, I think in solid tumor, we haven't gotten approvals. There's a lot of technical difficulties. What are we targeting? Um, and then when we try to administer it, um, we're getting all of this trouble and side effects and issues. So there's a lot of technical things we have to work out, but we're not giving up hope on this. Um, you know, we've been trying to trial this. I know we had a trial at Penn in lung cancer and we couldn't really enroll people because it was almost nearly impossible to enroll them. Um, again, just based on a lot of technicalities that we're trying to work through and figure out how this best fits in that tumor, a solid tumor. Um, so I said five, but I think I had four. So I miscounted. But yeah, those are the four, I think, um, that I'm excited about in the future. Again, the take-home message, outside of CAR-T, the take-home message is combining these different um, targets with already known targets, like um, PD-1, PD-L1 checkpoint, anti-CTLA-4, um, and then just looking for new pathways for us to, um, to develop. Awesome. Um, yeah, this is great information and definitely a lot of things to look forward to, which is great. So I wanted to ask you, um, and I know you kind of just touched on it, but if there's any milestones that you are particularly looking forward to or hopeful for um, to see completed or started in treatment by the end of 2023? 
I don't know. I, I wish I had a crystal ball to say, because sometimes, <laughs> you know, the, I, I would hate to predict that because I think a lot of times, especially with clinical trial drugs, I've seen, you know, take tremolimumab. We just talked about that, um, which is now approved. We've been trialing that for a long, 10 years probably. And I thought, wow, I guess that drug's never going to come around. And then here it made its way into 2022. Um, so I hesitate to say, you know, which one. I think Tidget's probably the one furthest um, down the line. Um, and maybe the next one that's likely to get some sort of approval in a combination setting. But um, but I never know. You just, you know, you don't know. And there could be one that suddenly gains progress really quickly, um, especially, you know, like Gitter coming out of the preclinical models, mostly mouse models right now, but looking really promising. So we just never know. Right, definitely. And um, final question I have for you is, um, as we're ending the interview, uh, are there any resources that you think would be beneficial for clinicians that are listening in to help them stay up to date and help them stay on top of these new strategies? And like, you know, like you said, the rapid fire, like updates of things that are going on. There are lots of resources out there, different conferences that you can attend. Um, you know, obviously we like our uh, presentation as well. Um, the, the one thing I though I did want to end with is um, supportive care. Um, this is something that I had presented on in our original conversation. And, you know, people are always saying, well, what are the updates in supportive care for the toxicity management of immunotherapy? And, um, you know, realistically, I can't say, oh, it's magically new. Um, you know, we have our immunosuppressive drugs that we're still using, things like prednisone and then, um, you know, other like infliximab and other immunosuppressive drugs. So that really hasn't changed. But what I would say is that ESMO and NCCN both updated their supportive care guidelines in 2022 and probably are likely going to do it again in early 2023. So these are really the best resources to go to when you're worried about how to work up and manage some of these patients, especially some of the rare toxicities. If you go, both ESMO and NCCN have um, even up, even guidelines on how to manage some of the more uncommon ones, let's say like um, the cardio uh, toxicities that are uncommon. So I would really use those as good resources. I think um, the one thing that I've sort of done more in the past year um, relates to colitis, and I've been tending to use the fecal calprotectin test more often. It's a, you know, it's a send out um, stool test, so it's a little bit inconvenient in that respect, but um, such a good marker for inflammation within the bowel and really helping me understand where the colitis is at as I'm tapering and treating, um, as opposed to having to do invasive procedures. We're not even hardly doing that anymore. Um, you know, initially it was all about colonoscopy and, and doing all this, but I don't know about other institutions, but mine is, it takes a long time to get a colonoscopy scheduled and figure it out. By that time, the patient might be, their colitis might be resolved. So I've been using more of the fecal calprotectin. I think that would be one of my take-homes over the past year. Um, but from supportive care, not huge um, changes other than that, it can be complicated. Look at those guidelines, um, especially ESMO and NCCN, they are updating them um, every year, sometimes twice a year with the most up-to-date information. Great, well, thank you, Miss Sandy for all this all this research and updates and thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.